Welcome to the seventh episode of the Front End Happy Hour podcast. We have a very special guest today, a really good fi- friend of mine and Derek's as well, uh, Jenison Assumption. Jenison is a digital accessibility lead at LinkedIn. So you can guess today's topic is all about accessibility. Jenison and I have known each other for years. We actually both moved to the Bay Area a few years ago from Toronto. It's great having a fellow Canadian on the podcast. Jenison, can you give us a brief intro on yourself and let us know what is your favorite happy hour beverage? I'll start with that first. Uh, I'm a big fan of the Dark and Stormy. Yeah. And and her sister, the Moscow Mule. I knew you would be able to narrow it down to one. (laughs) He's like, you're not choosy. So much alcohol. Right? But they both have ginger beer as a base, which is a, a delicious drink. But uh, yeah, so about a little about me. Well, as you said, uh, Ryan, we're both Canadian, um, but I come from Montreal and lived in Toronto for a long time. Uh, been working in accessibility now since 2006 full time. I did it a little bit uh, while I was a project manager uh, in my job before that. But uh, but yeah, I've been. I was at the Royal Bank of Canada, working on an accessibility team there. Uh, working a lot with designers and developers and then I got the proverbial call and uh, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Good time. We just, we just heard a buzzing. Um, but yeah, uh, I got the proverbial call and here I am in the Valley. I've been here for two and a half years and loving it. Uh, been at LinkedIn and um, been just enjoying my time. Uh, I've got four software engineers who are amazing, who are working on Various aspects of accessibility, Android, iOS, web stuff. So it's it's been a great it's been a great run so far. Awesome. So it's like pretty much your day to day is focusing on accessibility. Correct. Great. And before we get into you know starting, let's go around the table and introduce the rest of the panelists. Derek, you may as well start it off. <clears throat> yeah, so I'm Derek Showers. I am from America, not Canada. Oh um, you know, the home of the new America beer. Can you guys hear about that? No. <laughs> Bud oh, Light requested. Oh, Budweiser requested they rename their beer America. Ew, Budweiser's America. terrible. America, America. <laughs> um, and um, I am a um, UI engineer, software engineer, one of those things here at LinkedIn. Senior, junior, whatever Brian calls it. <laughs> yeah. Hi, I'm Sarah. I'm a UI engineer slash software engineer, UI and front end person at LinkedIn. I'm from New York, upstate New York, which is basically Canada. So I and she I sounds like Avril Lavigne. <laughs> Who is Canadian? <laughs> <laughs> right on. We've got a, like, we're half Canadian here. So that's I was perfect. like an hour away from Canada. Right. Awesome. That is, it is very it is close. close. I have been there. I so. used to go drink there when I was like 19. Well, yeah, because we don't have ridiculous 21, mm-hmm. you know, adult age to drink. So. Yeah. It's good. Uh, and I'm Ryan Burgess. I'm a UI engineering manager at Netflix. So I guess we can pretty much get started. Before we start, though, I want to make an observation so that everyone knows that we, for the first time in podcast history, for Friend and Happy Hour anyway, net, or LinkedIn outnumbers Netflix. Wow. Oh, that's actually pretty good. We're yes. also at LinkedIn. And we are also recording at LinkedIn. Very, very LinkedIn heavy today. Right. That's awesome. Before we get started, what's today's keyword as we all like to, you know, Friend and Happy Hour we like to choose a keyword that every time it's mentioned, we're going to drink to it. What have we decided today's word is? Keyboard. 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 Awesome. Goes really well with accessibility. Perfect. 
So I guess to start things off, Jenison, how did you first get into digital accessibility? Actually, I want to turn the tables and find out first, first of all, uh, about everyone here around the table, um, what your exposure to accessibility is. Um, I'm friends with this guy. His name is Jenison. <laughs> um, no, but... Um, but before. I, I, um, I, I can honestly say that LinkedIn has been a huge eye-opener in terms of accessibility. Um, so, I mean, I, so I was previously at Apple and we did a lot of accessibility stuff, but I was doing the, the role that I was doing was more like bug fixing and stuff like that. So it really wasn't like learning, uh, best practices and stuff like that when it came to accessibility. And then before that I was at an agency and quite honestly, they cared less, cared less about accessibility. So I think what about that it's really refreshing. Um, well, I didn't, I'm self-taught, so okay. I didn't really, um, but you know, I guess through, I guess you could, you could still turn that to like the resources that I use and stuff while I was teaching myself um, didn't really come up all that much. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think, you know, here is just definitely, um, um, and I think, you know, you, you and your team, Jenison, play, play a big part in like just bringing the exposure to, to people here. Um, I know we ask about it during uh, interview process and stuff like that. It's pretty big important. So awesome. Um, but yeah. So what do you say? Well, when I was interviewing, they told me about you. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> no. Um, yeah, so I'm also mostly self-taught, but I did take classes at school, and they never really went over it. My experience um, is, as you're learning, they kind of treat accessibility a bit like SEO. Like, they mention things that you can do to make it better while you're learning other things. Right, but, but they it's never, not a focus. Yeah, it's not a focus, and they don't go into it in depth. Okay. And actually for me, um, it's funny, Derek said about agencies not caring about it. I actually started working at a lot of agencies that did a lot of government work. So I was exposed to accessibility really early on. And throughout my career, I've never really focused as being an accessibility expert or anything like that, but always been a very big advocate for it. Just trying to anything that we can do to make it better for everyone. Basically, the web should be used by anyone. So anything that I've done, I've tried to like learn and, but there again, it didn't, it's not something that we learned in school, right. which is an interesting aspect. I love that you kind of brought that up, Jenison, because I feel like now even it, more and more articles I see online are published on like how to write more accessible code. So hopefully schools nowadays are making a bigger point of accessibility, but I'm not quite sure it's part of a curriculum or anything. Yeah, I think it's pretty rare that it will come up as a curriculum item. I, as a side thing, I'm involved in something called the Teach Access Project, and we are uh, a bunch of tech companies and academic institutions and, and advocacy organizations, and we're actually looking at putting together curricula and things like that so that accessibility is taught to comp sci, engineering, design, and related fields. Not We're not necessarily talking about in-depth, but at least so there's a base knowledge. Of accessibility when people graduate from from schools. That's so awesome. We're working on that now. Uh, we know it's an issue. Well, I think to me it's just understanding or at least thinking about it. So if you're if you're a designer, you're a developer, you're actually just having that in your back of mind, mm -hmm. trying to think through that is like pretty much a big win there. So if they're teaching that already, that's that's yeah. awesome. I think the more that it, it does get taught and the more awareness there is for it, the more the the, the better that will be for. For you know, like while you are at a maybe you are at an agency like I was that that puts less concern around it. Like it gives you a little bit more of a foundation to stand on to like bring that up to because a lot of time 
it's probably going to be you having to convince the client that you're working yeah. with um, that it's important, yep. you know, and it's important to their business. So yep. like usually as a, as a developer anyway, you don't take that role. That's usually right. the account manager yeah, and an yeah. agency or something. So like you have to really be that voice. So I think just having that awareness is super important. And the, rea- and the reality is from, from the stuff I've heard, particularly with agencies, they're working with small to medium sized businesses and, you know, when you talk to them about accessibility, that the company itself that you're that, that's the client probably doesn't have accessibility people on board. So they're like, or well, a budget. or a budget. So they're like, well, you can do it, but then we can't maintain it. Or what if we want to change stuff and things? So no, it, it's definitely an issue. Uh, one of my particular areas of interest, though, is making sure even the boot camps out there that um, that are you know turning out engineers slash web developers. Um, that th- those folks are also like the general assemblies of the world and other uh, boot camps are um, going to start teaching accessibility. Some of them are already doing it. They'll, they'll touch upon it. But uh, it's one of those skills. Uh, you were asking, I think, around your original question is how I got into it, the field. Yeah. To me, I mean, it was just more, it was something that I I wasn't planning to get into originally. I was doing more project management and stuff like that. But uh, accessibility is one of those fields where in IT, where you can actually have an impact on, on people's lives. When you think about it, you know, there's more than 1 billion people with disabilities in this world, uh, with different disabilities, not just people who are blind, but the full gambit of it. And uh, the fact that you can work on making sure that that 1 billion plus population base can have access to whatever you're building I think that there's there's some value to that. It's 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 one of those very unique career areas where you know that you're actually making a, a, an actual difference for people. I think so, that's a good way to put it. So you're actually yeah, you're making a difference in someone's life, yeah. making it easier. Or if you're not making stuff accessible, you're making it harder for them, right? <laughs> I mean, anyone like and, and just as a general statement, I mean, if you're not developing your stuff to be accessible deliberately, you could be, you know, depending on what you're working on, you could be making the difference between someone with a disability being able to use a tool for work, for example. Yeah, I think I think a, a good um, side note to that is people, I've heard people make the comparison, and I, I have in the past probably too, especially when talking about um, going to clients and, and um, like getting budget for things, but they make the comparison to um, supporting older browsers. Yeah. And, um, you know, because it's kind of like this extra step that you may be able to get away with, but I think the difference is, and this goes back to your point, is people can, most people can upgrade their browser or choose a different browser or choose a different machine, whereas, you know, accessibility, I think, is a little bit more important because there's not necessarily that option. Right. I also remember seeing, like, a statistic. I don't want to quote it because I can't remember the exact percentage, but it was, like, some comparison to people using, like, IE7 or IE8, and it was, like, there's a higher percentage of people... uh, that are actually using like assistive technologies for accessibility or versus the keyboard. using or using the keyboard. <laughs> Cheers. Uh, yeah, so they're using that, and that it's more important than some of the legacy browsers that we're trying to support. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of companies are putting a lot of extra effort into supporting these browsers when really. I think more importance should actually be put on accessibility. Yeah, um, I can't remember the exact percentage, but. I think the other thing too, and maybe we can get into talking about this a little bit more, but um, there's two different sides to, to accessibility when you're actually writing code. Um, and that's like you have one side that you just, if you inherently know uh, and you write good semantics and you, um, you know, you know basics about focus and like so that 
you don't want that focus, uh, the, the like blue outline in Chrome to, you know, you want it to go away. Sure, you can do focus none, you know, like or outline none. But I think just kind of knowing about that stuff prevents you from from making those decisions. So you can kind of do that while you're writing code. I think what what is frustrating sometimes, I know from from as as doing this stuff is there's sometimes, um, you know, like when you're building for screen readers, for instance, things screen reader just is not behaving the way that you want it to, and it's very frustrating, right? It's like it's almost like that browser. Thing where you're trying to build for i7 or 8 and there's just no reason or rhyme or reason what's happening. So, um, But I, I would say just to that point, because we, those of us who work in accessibility full-time hear that all the time and part of the, part of the issue is it has nothing to do with the, the work you folks are doing on the dev side. I've always said, you know, follow the standards uh, like the web content accessibility guidelines. Part of the responsibility lies on the assistive technology vendors, the screen reader, the people who actually build the screen readers because there are set things with the guidelines and there's good best practices and it's not your fault if the screen reader that you're particularly testing on isn't doesn't act properly with it um, so some some of the onus does lie on on the manufacturers uh, of, of the different assistive technologies too so yeah. I think I guess my point is that like you can do simple things mm -hmm. um, I know you you guys talk about it um, do simple things like you know, use a use a button or a link where appropriate. You know, because you get so much use, for free. Yeah, use the native. Um, oh yes, you get all that stuff for free that you know you don't have to worry about then going back and being frustrated by all the things that aren't working. One of my previous episodes was hating on the people who put class equals button on a div. Like, just use a yeah. use a button. Like, yeah. that's so much better. <laughs> and a lot of things like if you just think about things, um, like if if you just think about the site from the standpoint of uh, a screen reader. It makes it easier so because um, like sometimes it's hard because I think like a common one is, oh, there's a button on the page, but that goes to a different page. It's not really a button. Yeah. It's a link. Yeah, you're right. So it's just just because it's styled to look like something else on the page that's a button. If you think about that from the context of whether you can, you can call it like just basic semantics or you can talk or, you, or sometimes I think it's easier to visualize if uh, you think of it as like a, a common sense. <laughs> <laughs> But the, just just talking about this whole thing, um, just maybe branching off a little bit. Uh, to, there was a great article that just came out um, in the last couple of days that I recommend everyone listening. Uh, use your favorite search engine to find it. It's it's on Medium, and it's called "Danger: Testing Accessibility with Real People." And the, the, this article was written in response to another article. Um, you can find that out by looking at this Medium post. But essentially, it was talking about how important it is to use ARIA when required. So ARIA is the Accessible Rich Internet application. And that's for things that where native native components might not necessarily be the way you need to go, like if you're using a tab control or something like that. Um, but it, it just, it, what, it, what it talks about there is just, you know, don't, don't shy away from it, but use ARIA responsibly. Um, that's important. Because sometimes the reverse can happen. Sometimes people are like, well, that's too much of a complicated interaction. Let's make it easier so that screen reader users or keyboard-only um, users can, can oh, interact. Keyboard-only? <laughs> oh, and you said it again. Oh, yeah. Two. <laughs> you kind of brought up ARIA there and, you know, not using it, only it using was, it when needing yeah, it. Yeah, because um, there's been other chant times where people are using, like, Label area label by and other things where it's just not necessary. They should just use like use semantic markup and use the native elements. 
Wasn't there like, what's the number one rule about Aria? Never use Aria. Yeah. Or it's don't like, use Aria. Don't use Aria is like, is basically to try and avoid using yeah. it unless you really have yeah. to. And there's very specific use cases for it. It just, it's the sexy thing. Everyone's just like, oh yeah, we'll apply Aria. Now we're accessible. Yeah. Done. One, one of the challenges with Aria is, is it's not a visual thing that, that folks who can see can see unless you actually use a screen reader. And most people who are using screen readers who can see um, don't necessarily have, know how to use the screen reader properly. So they're just, and everyone everyone has good intentions, but then you, you slap on all this ARIA, you haven't necessarily used the screen reader properly to see how it is. You haven't tested it with an actual screen reader user, and then you put it out in the wild, um, hoping that it, it was useful. Um, but it was you know, so you have to just be judicious when you're using ARIA. Can you elaborate for some people who don't really know ARIA that much? Sure, absolutely. About like, why don't we like ARIA all that much? Yeah, well, I would say it's more to do with, so what ARIA does, just, just so people are clear, is in situations where it's not already natively exposed, ARIA allows um, custom controls and widgets to expose things like the name, role, state, and value. And those are important when you're, when you are using assistive technology like a screen reader, because the user will be moving around the screen and they need to know, like, what, like, what is this? Is this a piece of text or is this actually something to interact with? So what ARIA does is it, it allows extra markup behind the scenes to, to let the, um, to communicate with the screen reader to say, this is going to be a tab panel or this is going to be an accordion or something like that and and give that semantic information to the screen reader user. It doesn't have any change. Like visually, you wouldn't even know, but it's 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 more specifically for screen reader users. And more, more recently, it's also helping people who use voice recognition software like Dragon Naturally Speaking, so people who can't use their hands at all. So it's not only uh, good uh, for people who are uh, using screen readers. So... Um, there's a lot of stuff out there on ARIA, um, but that's at the high level, that's what it is. It's just a set of, of specifications that allow you to mark up name all states uh, of those objects. Yeah, and it's literally just added to your DOM element. Mm -hmm. So you're right, no one else visually sees any change in the markup. Or, I mean, it's in the markup, yeah. but they don't visually see it on the page. Because that's always the one thing. As a person in accessibility, I have to tell you, the one thing we always, when we're working with anyone, we're always very careful because we know that the visual look and feel is that's a precious thing that's an important thing so you know we're like this will not change the visual look and feel because we know that that gets people concerned because you already have a limited amount of real estate on the screen so if they hear well we're adding this so you you know you quickly say but this none of this will impact the the, the visual look and they're like oh okay <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's a fun. good thing yeah right so another thing that uh, I wanted to bring up early on, I think it's a good question for people that may see this like on Twitter and things like that, is that accessibility is often uh, referenced as A11Y. Why is that? And how do you actually pronounce that genison? What is the best possible way to pronounce that? And so what does it mean? <laughs> so what it means, so accessibility... Um, the, between the A and the Y, there's 11 letters. So to shorten it, it's A1, A11Y. And that's what they've been using on Twitter, for example, just to save real estate. Some people call it Ally or Ally. 
but that's like to me anyway it's like that's like nails on a chalkboard it's a11y is how you should pronounce it so is twitter what um what sparked i think honestly i mean it makes sense i never thought about that yeah i I believe that's where it started i actually assume that but you're right i don't know for sure yeah yeah just but there's sense. like L10N, L10N for organization. So yeah, if and that's by the way, that's a great if for people who are just getting into accessibility. If you're on Twitter, uh, the A11Y hashtag is like that's burning up always with accessibility stuff. I think you're always tweeting on that. Aren't you? <laughs> I use it sometimes. Yeah. What's your Twitter handle? At Jenison. I know he has his first name. <laughs> you're right. I'm jealous of that. <laughs> Uh, so why is it important for developers to care ex- about accessibility and how is it, uh, how are they able to make sure that they're building accessible websites? Yeah. So, I mean, to, to, from my perspective, I mean, if, if a developer cares about the quality of their code and the integrity of their code, and if they, if they care that everyone can use whatever they're building, then, then accessibility should matter to them. Like full stop. Like there's nothing else to say on that. Like it has to do with quality code, like writing good code that's semantic, that's clean, and that's accessible. Uh, and then knowing that you're you're building something, you're following best practices to make sure that anyone who picks it up can can actually use what you've built. I mean, why would you want? Why would anyone want to build something deliberately where they're excluding uh, people from using it? Well, I think that's a good point, and I've I've even seen where you were saying about like, you know, using the proper code and writing clean code. Yeah. And, and to me, that's very important. Yeah. I care about that a lot. And it's funny, even sometimes in people's HTML, and I've seen this happen countless times on various companies and, you know, projects that I've even been on is like, even something as simple as like heading structure, yeah. where I've seen like, you know, you, you've got H1, H2, H3, H4, etc. for a reason. And I've even seen it where like everything's in H1 or I've seen H1s in footers, which don't make a lot of sense. Like why are you using an H1? There should typically only be one H1 tag on a page. It's your heading and you've got your subheadings. It could be H2, et cetera, afterwards. But there's some just weird mistakes that people do and they're styling them different. But it's like just use the proper semantic markup. Yeah. One one trick I think is um, <clears throat> is just take CSS out of the equation. You know, like think about Ooh, I like that. think about what your markup looks like without CSS, and that's kind of what the screen reader sees. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think screen readers use CSS sometimes, like they ignore certain things, mm-hmm. like you just it, yeah. um, or they actually I think they they adhere to like display none or whatever. But um, but yeah, I mean, just take CSS out of the equation and think about how it would look. And I think that answers the the example we talked about earlier with the button link thing, right? Like you wouldn't have, so it took CSS out of the equation, it's a link, it goes to a different page. Exactly. If you have, a, if you have a, all H1s on the page, it would look really well, and, silly. And if it was to my point being like pissy about someone adding div class oh, yeah. equals uh, button, well, that without, well, without JavaScript probably that they're targeting, but if you yeah. just said no JavaScript and no CSS, well, that doesn't click anywhere. Yeah. But if it was an actual href, well, yeah, now it actually clicks to whatever it's supposed to go to. But away from that stuff, I mean, also just things, important things like color contrast, uh, having sufficient foreground and background color contrast. There's enough tools out there on the market that you can run your pages on to see. And if you know that you've, if you, there's, there's strict ratios. And if, if, if you knowingly put something out there, knowing that it doesn't pass, like minimum sufficient foreground, background, color contrast, you're just shutting out people with low vision or who are colorblind uh, from reading stuff. So it's just about deliberate choices 
And I get it that not devs particularly don't might not necessarily like have a choice. Maybe they're maybe they're under tight deadlines and stuff like that. I get all that stuff, but at the end of the day, I mean, there's just some some fundamental things, like keyboard, for example. <laughs> you did that one on purpose. <laughs> but so the, but yeah, con- but the contrast thing, though, yeah, is that a developer's responsibility or a designer responsibility? Oh. It's a shared responsibility. <laughs> Thank you, Sarah. I agree. I just, wanted, I just wanted to. You wanted some controversy. I wanted to be a, you know, no, but you're devil's right. advocate. There. I would always say, like, when I talk to my to my developers, I've always said, like, if you see that the contrast is out, you know, sometimes sometimes they can sneak it and fix it, but sometimes they have to go to their designers and, and let them know. But well, and I think that's shit. okay. Yeah, I think it, it warrants that conversation. Mm-hmm. I've definitely worked with designers and said, hey, can we like bump up the contrast between these two components? And I think it was more explaining why I was getting at that is like, hey, look, the contrast. And I've even shared tools to help them see what I was getting at is that the colorblind uh, people are definitely not able to see this. Or even someone as hard of seeing, you're not going to be able to see that color difference. Yeah, I think um, the the tools are are important to to mention because as developers, we have tools that designers don't necessarily have. So I think that's where that um, the Chrome accessibility extension is a good example because that, yeah, that talks about pro, or, uh, that has color. Contrast, yeah, right? there's a color contrast analyzer on that, so you can hover over a component and you can do an audit on it, and it yeah. will show you. It will actually show you what it would look like if you if you bumped it properly. It's good to just talk about it. I mean, because like a lot of designers just don't know. They don't teach it at all. They teach it even less than developers and. I mean, sometimes it's not sexy because you have these, like, tiny little sans-serif fonts on, like, light backgrounds, and it's a cute brand, but it just doesn't work for everybody. What? Why do designers like that? Because I've seen it's that It's sexy. Lot. It's, like, it's a trend. It's uh, minimalistic, and it, I don't know, people like to do it. Fair enough, yeah. I see it a lot, so it must look good, but... Yeah, to someone who is hard of seeing, that is completely a hard thing to see, like actually see. Yeah, if you're using a thin font, automatically reassess. Because there's light and then there's thin. Huh. So. Um, I wanted to ask to, you kind of brought up, um, you kind of brought this up with contrast and then we talked about keyboard. <laughs> um, so, so I know, you know, I think the definition of accessibility should be making making your app or site accessible to everybody, right? But mm-hmm. that's a general definition. But is there anything else that um, I think people gravitate? We talked about this earlier, but people gravitate towards screen readers when you talk about accessibility. But what are some of the things? Is there anything else besides those three things? Contrast the the word we keyboard. Yeah, yeah honestly, <laughs> but that that, that. Um, and uh, yeah. oh yeah, you can't miss that one. <laughs> But I have to say, though, keyboard is fundamental. Um, and there's there's a bunch, because so I think you were asking me, Ryan, your, one part of your original question was around, like, how, how can developers test? If you, can't, if you can't navigate to and operate all focusable elements on the screen using that, <clears throat> that word rhyme, rhymes with B-board. Well, you're now avoiding it. What was it? It's keyboard? Keyboard. We like to drink. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. we, yeah, we, we like, like to drink. drink. Coke right now. <laughs> he does have some rum in right? there. Right? Um, no, not anymore. Um, but yeah, if, if you can't navigate to and operate all of those focusable elements with that device, then you're, you're dead in the water. Like, that's fundamental. The, the other thing is actually seeing visible, uh, visible keyboard focus. Yeah. So as you're... As you're tapping around, you, um, 
if you can't see where you are, that kind of defeats the purpose. Right? Oh, I'm a huge, huge user of. Uh, I know a lot of devs of use that, the keyboard. The Nicholas, keyboard. Nicholas Zakis uh, <laughs> is a huge keyboard only user, and he's like really all powerful in JavaScript. So and he's a power keyboard. No, user. I, I, I'm I'm the same way. I actually use it all the time, and I can't stand when I have no idea where I'm at, where there's no like yeah. focus state. Yeah. That's a huge thing. That's a huge. Thing. Honestly, I even say it as a simple thing is every time in your CSS that you're adding. A hover state, just put comma focus on that. It's the same thing, but I want to be able to actually see where I am on the page. So if I'm not using the mouse, I'm able to tab where I am and actually see that. I think to me, I'm a visual user, but mm -hmm. I can actually do that with my keyboard. I don't want to be on a mouse all the time. And it also helps because <clears throat> um, I don't know if this is a recent thing. I don't know how recent this is, but you know the blue outline at Chrome, I mentioned this earlier, but mm -hmm. Chrome ads. Um, and you said to remove it, and I was going to like, being like, I didn't say to remove it. Saying, I'm saying, designers hate it. I'm saying, designers I'm, hate it, but I'm saying that that you might know not to remove it is what I meant to say. Oh, earlier. okay. Um, because people would just think, oh, I don't. Why is that there? I'm just going to remove sure. it. You don't know yeah. anything about focus. Yes. Um, but the, I like your idea about the just comma focus everything because then you can avoid that because designers do hate that and it, it does. Uh, hey, and that, sometimes. And that's but okay. If you have a better focus state. Yeah, it's also your hover. I state. mean, you can remove it, but remove it and, and make sure that you're replacing it with a focus state. That's super important. I think I think it's also just if we could step back for a second. I think it's important to say that these all the things we're talking about, uh, all the various guidance that we're giving here, these aren't things that have been made up like here tonight or whatever. There, there's actually a we set don't of, make shit up. Jim, well, no, so but there's like a, there's a full because people up. are always people are always saying like, well, we want to see the accessibility requirements. Like, where are these? And it's it, essentially it's the web content accessibility guidelines version 2.0. Uh, which came out in 2008, which are really the Bible for anyone working in accessibility. And I get, and all of us in accessibility realize for developers, if you look at that, if you look at those guidelines, it's just like, it's, it, you need like a PhD to understand some of it. But people need to understand that there is actually a, a referenceable There's set science. of guidelines. Yeah. Well, it's, it, to me, it actually reminds me of like W3C standards, like yeah. for the browser. Yeah. It, it's not fun reading it. No. But but here's the other thing that people need to understand is there's the guide they're guidelines for a reason because there's more than one way to meet them. Everyone is like, oh, do, like what's the what do I have to do? Like what's the one way to get there? And you know, if you ask one person, you might be able to achieve the guideline by doing it one way. Uh, there's or you come to someone else and they might say something a little different, but it achieves the same end. Ultimately, what you're trying to do is just make sure that people can independently use and interact with your content, regardless of what, what they're using. They could be using a mouse or uh, any other device. Like a keyboard? Like a keyboard. <laughs> so, Jenison, what are your biggest pet peeves for accessibilities that you come across in websites, you know, whether it be booking an air flight or anything that you're interacting with on a daily basis? What are your biggest things that you notice that are common mistakes? And I guess just for the for the interest of our of our podcast listeners, uh, since you've asked the question that way, I think it's time to reveal a dirty little secret. Whoa! I'm completely blind, and I use a screen reader. Awesome! So you use this on a daily basis. I do, and you're a power user. Uh, I've been using reader. a screen reader for a while. Yes. My first, actually, it's interesting. My very first screen readers were my cousins, who would read to me on the screen as I was trying to program, like. <laughs> games and basic and stuff like that back no shit yeah. that's, that's awesome. awesome and they'd be like reading to me like error messages and stuff and i'd be like doing that my biggest pet peeves lately is 
like video, auto-playing video. So I'll go to a website to read a, a news story or something. Like I'll be in Facebook and I'll click, a, I'll activate a link. And then like I'm listening to it with my screen reader and then suddenly out of nowhere, there's like talking and stuff. And that totally will interfere with my screen reader that I'm using. And there's no pause button or anything that I can find quickly enough. And by the way, it's annoying for every user. Well, I know, but we're asking about No, 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 me. I know. Well, <laughs> <laughs> you, Derek? Yeah. <laughs> At least we can find the pause button. Right, here. but I just like fuck it out of anything that has that kind My of point thing. is don't ever do it. Yeah, right? No, true Hashtag enough. not all devs. Is, right? is, there, is there ever a good time to do that, Jenison? Is there like a point where you're like, okay, I get it that it's been done? Which? Autoplay video. <laughs> I get like because you expect it on YouTube, right? The the video will automatically play, but that has the controls and stuff. So what, no, I can't think. What of about um, like a lot of sites are using background videos now? So I guess because there's no sound. Yeah. So I wouldn't okay. even know. There's yeah, so yeah. much stuff that's happening. Okay. So here's the other thing. There's so much stuff that happens on the screen that I kind of jokingly I can plead ignorant. Like I can be like I can what's the word? Uh, I can walk blindly onto a website because like there's <laughs> there's background <laughs> images, right? And then sometimes on restaurant websites, they'll have their menus, which is a scanned image. I have like decided not to go to certain restaurants just because I was just trying to see that, like, I want to hear the menu before I go. Is that like a crime? You know, I've got money to spend. So I took that money elsewhere. I'm like, screw that. How hard is it to convert? I see that all the time on restaurant websites too. How hard is it to convert it's a not. menu to HTML? Right. And actually... That's maybe we should go. Maybe we should go into business converting menus. To I, honestly, I'll do that for that free because you know what? Does Evernote do that? Uh, Evernote does actually do some reading text. That is a good point. Oh, yeah. um, well, the worst is when the PDF is a scanned image. Because oh. <laughs> there's one thing for a PDF that has text in it, like yes, regular text. That's a good point. But if it's a scanned image, all I hear from my screen reader is uh, "document empty." <laughs> Well, that's all it reads to you, right? right? Yeah. yeah. One of my other pet peeves is, is is inaccessible error messaging. So I'm busy filling out a form, and it's one of these forms where when as soon as you tab off the form, the error message pops up, but no one's done anything using ARIA to make that error message accessible. So here I am, again, blindly filling out this form, thinking I'm doing it right, uh, and then I hit the submit button and nothing happens, and then I'm like, uh... Now, I'm someone who, like, I, I know what's going on. But I, can you imagine, like, the average Joe and Joanne who's just trying to fill out a form? Right. Because um, you're actually them, working in this field. Yeah, so I kind of, I, I just expect stuff not to be accessible. I hate to say it. But I, I just expect stuff not to be accessible these days. So I just, I'm extra careful to check around when I leave, leave a form field. I just automatically look to see, is there an error message or something? Because I don't want to have to go back and look. So is, is Aria... Something that you would always have to use on because we we talked earlier about like the first year of Aria. Not to use it, but like this is probably something. No, I mean, there's other things you can do. You can move focus to the error to the error message as well. Because think about moving focus as like using your your eyes. Like if if there's something that needs to be drawn attention to for a screen reader user, like an error, then just get the focus there. If it's one of these things where you uh, are getting uh, error messages before you submit. But I, I was mentioning before we went on tape uh, or on podcast that uh, I was I was filling out a form last week uh, on a flight. I was flying on a major airline that will remain nameless. Not Southwest, though. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was flying back to San Jose, and I like I like everyone else. I wanted to get online, so I was on their mobile website, and it took me forever. It took me more than six times to fill out a form because for there were just a bunch of different issues that I had to contend with. Uh, for one reason, for one thing, focus was being auto automatically moved from field to field. 
Uh, so sometimes I got thrown off. They were using placeholders. So as soon as I removed the text, the placeholder text, the, the label, they didn't put a label in the code. So I had no idea. So when I hit submit, the focus was just brought to some random place. There was an error message on screen that I didn't know was there, but I knew something had wrong had happened because I kept seeing the form or reading the form. So I knew I hadn't proceeded. So it took me more than six times to figure this out. And I'm almost positive they were using custom controls because I was trying to like check a checkbox and, and it took me like forever to check, to get it to say checkbox checked, um, which wouldn't normally happen if it was a native checkbox. So I have to say, like, without getting on a soapbox, like, all of you listening and, and you got, you folks here, like, if you have to go through that, you'd be outraged. Like, it's ridiculous. Why oh, should totally. it take forever to fill out a freaking form? Like, it's, it's and there was a caption to boot, which, you know. Oh, caption. Yeah. Oh, now, it had, it, had a, it had an audio caption, but my problem was the first numbers were being drowned out by my screen reader. So I had to listen to the capture a couple of times to hear it. And what am I supposed to do? Turn to a passenger on the plane to read to me like what's on the screen? No, I should be able to independently do that. And what's crazy about that is some some team probably spent a lot of time mm -hmm. introducing these extra features like moving focus. Yep. Like it doesn't happen by itself, right? Yep. So moving focus to the next field and doing these custom controls where that time could have been spent making sure that it was successful instead. Yeah. Still make it look nice. One, like I think you, he also hit on a good one is uh, the placeholder text. Hmm. Placeholder text is not accessible and it's fine. Like I've seen it a lot of times. Designers want to... Uh, maximize the real estate. Right? Yeah, and they want to just have a placeholder text. It's also okay to put a... I mean, no, sorry. It's not okay. You need to have a label with an input field always. Hmm. Like in my mind, you always have to have it and so at least it's there to read to the screener. So Jenison actually can read that. Yeah. Um, but even if the designer is like, no, 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 we don't want that. We just want it as placeholder. That's fine for the visual user. But for someone for like using uh, screen technology, like uh, assistive technology to help read that, you can still use techniques of using the label in your markup, but using something like, uh, CSS like text indent, uh, put it into like negative 9999 pixels or whatever off screen. Screener is still actually going to read it, but to the designer, they have no clue it's there. Not saying that you're hiding something from the designer, but you're still achieving both things and proper markup needs a label in a form. So just a couple of things on placeholders. Um, I mean, the, the placeholders were really intended for as advisory text. And those of us in accessibility aren't saying don't use placeholders, but but just understand that you're supposed to use it as what it was intended for. To your point around the label and hiding it, you know, if we move beyond folk who are blind, if you think of people with cognitive disabilities and, and other uh, visual disabilities and things like that, and also people who use voice recognition software where they need to be able to mention, they need to say, go to this field. Well, if there's no label there, or if they don't know what it is and it's gone, then that doesn't help them either. Um, and the other thing about placeholder text, it's also um, out of the box. It doesn't pass color contrast. You have oh, to bump it up. Yeah, I think I think you should really have. I mean, because the the other objection I have with placeholder text is just for every user, yeah. it's very because you like you said, it's, it's supporting text. So it's like 
okay, I've typed something in, or maybe I have Chrome autofill turned on, which a lot of people do. Oh, right. Yes. And so you have no idea what those fields are actually for. So like one way around that, um, I've seen, I know we do it at LinkedIn is just kind of like do a floating. So like it's kind of starts in the text in the input field and it kind of like floats to the top once you start typing. That's but in that cool. case, it's, yeah, that's cool. And in that case, you have to do a label because it, it's, it takes but it's a label, label that is yeah, actually right. floating up. Exactly. Yeah. Cause you can't like really manipulate the placeholder text. So it kind of forces you to do but I, but I, so the other thing I want to go back to, and not to over like hammer this point too far, but using native controls is so important because I, or, or, or applying ARIA correctly, because I can't tell you how many times I've gone to a website and I just have to kind of figure out that this piece of text is actually a checkbox or something else. Or we'll say like, check this, you know, check the checkbox to, to say that you agree with the terms and conditions. I've had this happen and I'm looking for an actual checkbox to check and there's none. Because they didn't implement ARIA in it, so I, I'm stuck. So, using native control, like using native controls or implementing ARIA, I mean, it's so important. Yeah, and even if you implement the native control under the hood, like mm -hmm. you know, like I know there's a lot of designers that like this is becoming less of a thing now, thank God. But um, maybe, I, maybe it's just LinkedIn. I don't know, but um, the, the 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 select box being like decorated into this like fancy. Um, drop down and I remember the agency they always wanted and like the the approach a couple of years ago was like use an unordered list and like yeah. well it's not know, accessible uh, right but like if you use a even if you you know however you style it if you use a select box for instance in that situation under the under the hood you still have that native element which is which yeah. is cool check boxes too like yeah and one of the things I, I want to mention and it's I don't see it Actually, I do see it often. Um, if you have more than one call to action button, like a like button, because with screen reader users, what we what we can do is we can pull up a list of links or a list of buttons or check boxes and things. And if you have like more than one of the same thing, um, the advice is always, and again, you can hide this off screen, is to make those call to action buttons unique and meaningful. So we would say like like Sarah's post or comment on on ryan's post as opposed to just comment button yeah like uh, remove is, I, actually you guys caught me on this one time with uh with something i was working on linkedin but like there's like remove buttons uh, mm -hmm. i was working on like a, a phone number uh, management thing it's like you would just think like the supporting text needs to be removed right right what if you have 10 phone numbers mm -hmm. like right you should you don't necessarily need the user to see remove this phone number like the actual phone number but like you want the screen reader to say remove and it actually read the phone yeah. number out. That's, that's a good point. And, and yeah. it's even to like, I always make the point of like even the simple alt tag on an image. If you're going to put it there, put a bit of a description, not just like photo. I mean, that really does no value. If you can think of something, Derek drinking a beer. Well, at least that gives some context to what that photo is. Mm -hmm. And that's a lot better than just saying photo. I have to give a shout out to uh, my uh, my peers over at Facebook who've done some really great stuff with the artificial intelligence. So now I can swipe on my iPhone. Uh, I know we're concentrating here more on web, but uh, on my iPhone app, I can swipe uh, on Facebook. And if there's a photo, uh, they have implemented artificial intelligence. So it gives me some level of information. It will say like photo with like two people uh, or... So or, that's automatically saying that yeah. to you? And that's because awesome. it's using the auto, um, artificial intelligence. And I mean, and they're still perfecting it, but I mean, it's better than nothing, right? And it, and it allows just because some, some people want more detail, like that level of detail. So that's great. Oh, sure. Well, I mean, it, hearing photo doesn't really give yeah, you yeah, much yeah. context. Yeah. Like, 
Okay, great. Thanks. Nothing. Yeah, moving so on. So for the sake of our listeners that don't do this or don't have to deal with this a lot, mm-hmm. when you're talking about like adding more context to like your CTAs mm-hmm. and whatnot, how would they actually go about doing that? Without changing the visual aspect yeah, as well. Oh, yeah. I think one way, I think there's a lot of, like you said earlier, there's a lot of ways to do the kind of the same thing. Hide it um, off screen. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, you can hide it off screen, but you can hide certain parts of it off screen. So I know like for the remove situation, uh, in that case, it was just, it was just actually an icon. So it was kind of easy because you, you have to like hide the, the whole, um, you can hide the whole thing off screen. But like if there's other situations where it might be just remove and then for phone number, blah, blah, blah. Like, you would just put that maybe in a span and just put that span on the screen or something. And then how did you, in your CSS, how did you target that span to actually move it off screen? Because display none will actually hide it from, from the, the screen. screen yeah, so I think, um, I, I honestly don't know off the top of my head, but if you look at, if you Google it, there's, because um, I think a lot of, you should know a lot of tactics, <laughs> a lot of tactics, uh, it's kind of like the clear face, like I always have to Google it, but. But you well, know, it's like you can like read yeah, it. text indent negative nine nine nine. I know that Andrew. I don't I, know that text nine 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 negative nine 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 works though. It uh, does. Does it? It does. Are you sure? Yeah. yeah. That's what they said. I thought you had to do. I thought you had to do, I I you had to do um, like nowadays. I thought that screen readers. Were, I thought screen readers were yeah smarter. You had to do clipping and like height zero and fonts. Oh, you, like, you had there's, to do like a whole there's bunch some, of different. There's things some added things. Yes, but anyway, what I if you're using what I usually do is if you're using SAS. Or, or any sort of preprocessor, just create a mix-in and screen reader text. Awesome. That way you don't have to worry about it. Again. And my point is just, just to make sure if you have more than one of the same uh, link or button names, you they need to be unique in name. Yeah, that's, that's a really, really good point. tip. Um, can I jump back? Because yeah. you were asking about testing. So in addition to keyboard testing. Nice. <laughs> one, uh, so I wanted to say a couple of other things about keyboard testing because we talked about like... Uh, one more time. <laughs> making sure it's operable and navigable, but you also want to make sure there's a logical tabbing order left to right, top to bottom. Uh, but moving away from that, there are also a bunch of good tools out there on the uh, that you free tools or other tools that you can use to audit your page. We already talked about the Chrome accessibility extension, uh, but there's also uh, something called Access Lint, which is another tool that you can do an audit of your page. And then there's something called Axe, A capital X small E. Um, there's a digital accessibility agency called DQ Systems that uh, basically open sourced all of the accessibility rules for their accessibility engine. And so if you're looking to do like continuous accessibility testing, like as a developer, and you want to just to be able to run a set of rules, um, I would recommend looking at that. Um, Google has their own accessibility developer tools. Uh, there's also another paid tool called Tenon. Uh, so there's a bunch of tools out there. So it's not like there's, it's not like you can't do it. And I want to just address really quickly around screen reader testing, because that's a pretty contentious issue in the in the accessibility field, because they're like, don't teach developers how to use screen readers, because they don't use screen readers often enough so that they would know. I would say the only I would say you would want to learn how to use a screen reader properly, but you would want to only use it to test things like if you were using non-standard or custom controls, or if you're using ARIA, or if you're using dynamic content. And you wanted to make sure that focus was being managed properly. That's when you use uh, screen readers, uh, because you can test for things like alternative text by just using the mouse and hovering over things. Uh, so I wouldn't go crazy with that. Uh, but there's a free screen reader called NVDA, um, which people can use their favorite search engine to to you uh, look up and download. And if you're going to do any testing, I would strongly suggest you test 
at least a little bit on Windows if you can, and I'd use NVDA with Firefox, uh, VoiceOver with Safari, and uh, there's also JAWS, which is J-A-W-S, which is basically the, the, the dominant screen reader in the market it is, it is a Windows screen reader. There is a developer version, which I think is, is very inexpensive. For the average user, it's $1,100 to purchase. But I get, I get that devs mainly are using Macs. So I would just use VoiceOver with Safari because a lot more people are using uh, VoiceOver with Safari these days. And if you're going to be like uh, trying to get the experience that a VoiceOver user would be doing, then why not use the uh, the prominent combination that's out there now? Well, the nice thing is, is honestly, it's Command F5. Mm -hmm. Command F5. It's right there. It's right there. You but, got it. And and all you need to do, honestly, like th there's a couple of key commands that you should know how to do, like how to properly move around um, using those uh, using the VoiceOver keys. Um, the rotor is another one. Um, I'll, I'll just assume that people, if they're really interested, they'll look these terms up. But we can a, link to in the yeah, show notes. Um, and the rotor, so you can actually see what the buttons will 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 sound like. So you can test to see, for example, if you're using, if you have to use buttons that are not actual native buttons, you can use the rotor to actually see if Voiceover is recognizing those non-standard buttons as buttons, and you can and you can also see if you've properly made those buttons unique and meaningful because you'll see a full list of them. Isn't another good tool Chrome accessibility? Because you can kind of like, especially if you are like working where you don't have headphones or something and you want to like, you want to kind of get an idea of how things are, um, you can kind of get a visual re representation of um, the... Uh, and I got to tell you, yeah, like uh, sometimes we get some, like sometimes people will say like, I don't understand why, like, it's not reading the form name, like the, the field names. And had they used the Chrome accessibility extension, they would have seen they forgot the form ID, like it wasn't properly yeah. matching. So there's low hanging fruit. Now I will say that these automated tools are great, but they ultimate they only pick up about twenty five to thirty percent of the accessibility issues. So I think one thing that's is very cool about the automated tools, like something like you mentioned, Tannen is that you can actually implement that into your build system mm -hmm. so you could literally flag errors before it's actually getting pushed to production. Tenon or, or Axe or any of them. Yeah. But there's some really good tools and I and I really encourage our our listeners to really test them all out and see which one works for you. Because some of them, you know, it just depends on your situation. Um, so I can name like a whole bunch of them, but uh, certainly like, well, in the show notes, uh, the, the Web Accessibility Initiative, the people behind WCAG, or WCAG has published a, a list of, of, of tools and we can link to that and people can, I, I want people to shop around and find out the tool that works best for them. So another uh, thing I think that's important to mention, which is coming up May 19th is uh, Global Accessibility Awareness Day. I wanted to bring in, bring this up because I know Jenison actually has a piece in this uh, and started it. Skin of the game. Skin, skin of, of the, the game. game. That's a good way to put. <laughs> I'm interested to know how did it start and, sure. and what's the what's the uh, goal of it. So it all started. There is a, a developer named Joe Devin in Los Angeles who wrote a blog post back in November of 2011, and he basically just said developers need to. We need to have some fundamental knowledge about accessibility and there should be a day dedicated to that kind of not learning about accessibility. And again, it was an innocuous blog post and then he tweeted about it. It was some random Saturday 
in November of 2011. And for whatever reason, I, I, I read it and I clicked the link and I saw it and I'm like, oh, this is interesting. So I, I, I responded to the blog post and I said, hey, if you're interested in doing it, I, I've got some connections and let's see if we can do it. Now, you need to know that Joe, Devin and I are two fairly busy people. Uh, and so like this, this, it, we, we didn't think it would pick up. And then we just did it. And then I, the, literally the first Global Accessibility Awareness Day in 2012 was uh, me emailing a bunch of my friends in accessibility in different cities going, we're thinking of doing this. Um, what do you, can you like organize something? And, and from that tweet and those, that first initial communication, and again, realized that I didn't know Joe. We, we just met like virtually. It, it, it happened. And here we are, the fifth anniversary. You know, we have events around the world. People go to globalaccessibilityawarenessday.org. Uh, you'll see a bunch, uh, and you click on events. We have events right now, uh, as of the time of this recording, we have events happening for like from Ottawa, Canada to Perth, Australia, from Cape Town, South Africa to Belfast in the UK. So it's all over the place. And it's just a day to, for people to spend whatever period of time, whether it's an hour, like half a day, whatever, to just learn, just take some time to learn about digital accessibility, like web and mobile, and just talk about it. It's like one of these things that people, I don't know what it is about accessibility. I, I, I sometimes feel like people are, worried because like they don't want to ask the wrong questions and things like that so we wanted to make it a day where people felt comfortable to just do stuff and ask questions and things like that so there's a bunch of activities happening around the world and then there's a bunch of activities you can do on your own just like like go to your favorite website and just use the keyboard and ah, see yes. and see if you can actually do like uh, perform a transaction with it just little things like that or there's bigger things to do but it's just a day, and, and, and some people can't do it on, um, so it's the third Thursday of every month now. Uh, every month, I wish. No, third Thursday of May, every year. Uh, but some people, unfortunately, can't do it on that day because they couldn't find space. So, for example, Cape Town, South Africa, they're doing theirs on the 14th. But it's just exciting to see, like, people are just picking this up. It's, it's a grassroots effort. Um, Joe and I never thought it would just pick up. But people just get all excited around that date or and particularly on that date. And it's just it's 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 just an opportunity for people to feel comfortable uh, learning about uh, different issues of digital accessibility. So that's that's what it was meant to do, and it seems to be fulfilling its uh, its mission. Uh, what are some uh, ways that like you would suggest people to participate, especially in companies like I know you're at LinkedIn. Uh... Netflix, anything, how can we participate? Uh, what you could, do you like, suggest? One of, the, well, one of the big things you could do is just like like identify and fix one accessibility bug. Could you imagine if everyone listening here identified one accessibility bug on their, either their own page that they have or on, on a client page or on a company page and just like address that one issue? That actually be quite significant if would, everyone if every developer fixed one thing one issue. especially if every developer who observed global accessibility yeah manager. yeah like i just find one issue like use chrome accessibility extension use any of the tools we talked about use the use the keyboard and see if you can <laughs> i love that jenison's good about calling out keyboard right no it's important keyboard's just important trying to get us all drunk right well that's that to you oh, if, if everyone just found one accessibility bug and it could be like you could end up adding captions uh, transcript to a video. 
You could bump up the color on, on a page to make it meet the sufficient foreground but background color contrast. There's any number of things. You could convert some uh, buttons that you've created with divs and spans to like actual links or buttons. buttons. <laughs> like it could just be something simple like that. Or, or, or like do some research and just learn about accessibility or download uh, a screen reader or turn on voiceover on the Mac and just check it out. Like it doesn't have to be a huge thing. It just little activities. If you go to globalaccessibilityawarenessday.org and click on the participant link, participate link, there's a whole bunch of different uh, activities that we suggest people can do in addition to attending any number of public uh, events that are happening. It'd be really cool too if like, um, you know, people could go and maybe check out their favorite framework or, mm -hmm. um, and, and contribute back to open source community Absolutely. with some of that stuff. Like, that'd be awesome. That's yeah, it might take a little bit because it's not really all really with the finish code, on, yeah. But, yeah. but I know like single page apps are definitely, I'm sure you can find something, right? Yeah, <laughs> there's <laughs> to tons, every single one of them. There's so. tons of things to do yeah. uh, for Global Accessibility Wednesday. Thanks, thanks for bringing that up. So before we move to like our picks for the episode, what is some final advice that you could probably share with everyone to make things more digitally accessible? What is like one thing takeaway for every developer listening to the podcast? If I can maybe like expand on that question and just like answer it in terms of what, what can developers do to learn more about accessibility as well? Yeah, that's, uh, I, I like that actually. How can everyone in this podcast learn more? Uh, so so th there's a couple of things. You can, you can always look at the uh, A11My hashtag on Twitter. Uh, there's, a, there's a great book by my, a buddy of mine, Hayden Pickering, um, called Apps for All. Uh, so you can, you can uh, use your favorite search engine and, and look for that one. We'll have a, something in the show notes about that. In, in a lot of the major tech cities, there are also meetup groups that are specific to accessibility. So again, if you use your favorite search engine and type the word accessibility and meetup, uh, there, I know here in the States, there's, there's meetup groups in New York, in DC, in Boston, Austin, here in the San Francisco Bay Area in Denver, in Minneapolis, places like that, and in London, England. So that's another way where you can just connect uh, and get some real-world uh, exposure to accessibility that way as well. And just like part of it is also just reading and, and like finding blogs. Marco Zehe from, um, from Mozilla puts out some great blog posts. Uh, Leonie Watson is another one. She's awesome. She, she puts out some good posts. Uh, so there's, there's some blogs. But I've always said, if you're, if you're listening and you're all, if you care about accessibility and you have the empathy for it, if you've got strong JavaScript, CSS, and HTML5 skills and you have the empathy, accessibility, you can, you can be taught a lot of the technique. And there's, there are, to these days, there's a lot of opportunities right now, uh, particularly here in the Bay Area, but elsewhere too. Um, there's a lot of companies that are looking for people to fill accessibility roles. And I will say, like, for, for those of you who it matters, um, you know, you, you are like, you're, you're paid generously for, for doing that kind of work. There, there's definitely some opportunities there and that's going to continue to grow. I mean, there's, um, there's work now building a certification process for accessibility folks as well. So there's the accessibility industry in itself is, is moving and growing. Um, and you know, people are interested. You can, um, there's a Twitter account that I run, which is at A11YJobs, where I tweet about different job opportunities that come up. And there's also at A11YEvents, 
where I tweet about different conferences. There's a bunch of uh, free or inexpensive conferences uh, that happen annually. Uh, I run something called Accessibility Bay Area, which will be happening later in the fall. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, more on that when it comes out. Um, but there's events in Toronto and elsewhere. Uh, the big conference is in San Diego. Uh, it'll be next February, the, the week that straddles February and March. And that's the International uh, Technology and Persons with Disabilities Conference. And that's a big one. Um, that's kind of like our version of the Consumer Electronics Show for accessibility. There's about 5,000 folks wow. who get together, and they're not only talking about web accessibility, they're talking about everything. And it's an interesting opportunity for developers to get full immersion. Because one of the issues, if I could, is I know this because I've spoken to enough developers. Unless you get exposed to actually seeing a person with a disability trying to use your site or your app, you don't necessarily get it. And you're kind of like forced to just like believe that what you're doing is accessible or is doing the right thing or you're being, you know, maybe you're just handed a checklist and you're told here, like, make sure your site does this. But when you get that opportunity to sit with someone and actually see them, for back, lack of a better word, struggling with your site, you might not appreciate what the work you're doing behind the scenes in the code can actually, the impact of what that can do. So that, that CSUN conference, I've always heard from devs who've attended it. It's like, that's a big one because they're like, oh my gosh, like here are all my, here are people who are actually trying to use my products. So that one, it's not a cheap conference, but that one's a good one. But there's, like I said, there's a lot of free or inexpensive ones. Uh, you can always tweet me at, at Jenison and I can try and help you find something that's close to where you're at um, in terms of a location of a city. But I know there's going to be a, a conference coming up in Boston and, like I said, here in the Bay Area. And it's just a good opportunity to, to interact with other devs who are, and designers who are interested and to actually interact with end users with disabilities. Awesome. At the end of all of our podcasts, we usually do some picks. Jenison, do you have any picks for I've us this week? I've got a couple. Awesome. Non-accessibility related. Oh. So me being a bit of a travelholic, uh, thepointsguy.com is a good website if you're a points collector. Um, but, but another site, because I like to uh, go out and about in the city in San Francisco and elsewhere, I love the Cash app on my mobile phone. It works for me, uh, and I'm able to very quickly, um, obviously many people know about it, but I'm very quickly able to like transfer cash to people. And then the other, can I do a third? Do a third, yes. Uh, because I'm a jazz fan. Uh, jazz.fm, which is uh, the jazz radio station in Toronto. They uh, they do live stream, uh, but it's uh, it's an easy URL to remember, and it's a great radio station. Sarah, what do you have this week? Oh, man. Um, this week, well, since I just spent all my time working on my final project so I could graduate, nice. I was looking at it through Waka time to see how much time I actually spent. The walk of time is like a really cool time tracker. Um, it like automatically connects to all your editors and it tracks without you doing anything what, uh, how much you're doing and how much time you spend on each commit and like gives you a nice dashboard and a weekly summary. Um, so I really enjoy that. And That's cool. You're going to find out. I'm going to find out hopefully. for Global Accessibility Day. Nice. Perfect. <laughs> um, and since I'm also finally done with school, yay, yay. <laughs> I get to do more hobby projects. So I was looking at this really cool website, hackster.io. Um, 
it is just like a big library of um, Arduino and like all sorts of different electronic projects. But you put in all of the components you own and it gives you like projects that use the, those components. And you can also, if you contribute, you can like get points and like redeem them for free stuff in their store, like uh, free electronics and stuff. Um, and the other one is Losant, which is previously structured. It provides like a visual programming kind of interface for IoT stuff. So like you connect little um, pods as a graph. So if I uh, something senses something, I could tweet something. It's very simple and it's easy to use, and they send me free stuff. So <laughs> free, free stuff is always good. Derek, what do you have? Um, so my first one is is accessibility related. Perfect. Um, uh, so Adi Asmani has this command line tool for accessibility audit, and it actually goes nice. through the Chrome accessibility developer tools. Oh, nice. um, but it's kind of cool because you know we as developers like to be like to go back to like the nineteen seventies and do everything on command line. So, um, <laughs> but anyway, it's pretty cool. And then, I, like you were saying earlier, Ryan, you can probably. You can build this into your like uh, build system and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah so um, so that seems pretty cool. And my other one is um, everyone was making fun of me earlier because I was talking about the ways that I budget and not spend a ton of money. But I found this tool. For the reason, <laughs> I'll, I'll let you guys in the secret. The reason that I've been like this is because I started this new budget. Um, it's called YNAB, short for you need a budget. You need a budget. So oh, nice. Budget. Go to Vegas. Yeah, oh. to go to Vegas. But um, it's actually a really cool tool, and I really really love. I've only been using it for. Uh, about a week and a half, but their their UI is amazing. Uh, I don't know how accessible it is, <laughs> but their UI is 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 like everything's like really well thought through, and they actually have it's five dollars a month. But I've been a they're big, paying to create a budget. But I've been a big <laughs> I've been a big Mint user for a while. Um, every I feel like a lot of people use Mint, and I this love is Mint. this is a great alternative. Um, and they do classes um, for well not for free, but after the five dollars subscription, they do classes. They have all kinds of articles. Yeah, on how to just be better with your personal finances. So um, I really suggest checking it yeah. out. They have a 30-day free trial if you don't want to pay $5, Jenison. Awesome. <laughs> well, as long as it's accessible. <laughs> I actually will start with a uh, accessibility React plugin is uh, React A11Y. Ali, uh, if Jenison will just cringe when I say that. Um, but the, the nice thing about it is it, it identifies issues in your React components ahead of time. Uh, so I definitely recommend checking that out. I'll add it in the show notes so people can link to it. And since we've been doing music picks, I chose probably one of my favorite bands, the Gaslight Anthem. Uh, definitely recommend checking them out. Another uh, pick I have is I was just in Toronto this past weekend and tried some new ice cream place called Sweet Jesus Ice Cream. Nice. It, it's amazing. Honestly, even just go check out their site and look at the epic uh, ice cream choices and flavors that you have. I had something that had like cotton candy and craziness going on there. It was delicious. Definitely recommend trying that out. As we close the episode, I want to thank you so much, Jenison, for joining us. It was a pleasure having you hey, on the thanks episode. For, thanks for inviting me. Yeah, thank you so much. Where can people find you online sure, uh, they, if they're interested in talking more about digital accessibility? Absolutely. So they can find me at Jenison, J-E-N-N-I-S-O-N. Uh, and they can find me also at Jenison.ca. Right on. That's a Canadian domain. It is. How'd you guess? <laughs> <laughs> so good. 
So that's it for today's episode. Uh, make sure to follow us on Twitter at FrontendHH and tweet us uh, and tell us how you're going to spend your Global Accessibility Awareness Day. What activities are you going to be doing? I'm going to be at OzCon. Testing something with Say the Say hi if you're here. <laughs> right on. Woo! Thanks, everyone. Oh, last, last cheers, I guess. Cheers. <laughs> okay.